0: It's my show, I should know how it works. All right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right.
0: Hello, and welcome to episode 100 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is the marketing and the F is well, you decide. As so you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host Ian Truscott and this weekly podcast says as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career from techie to CMO and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way. Come say hello we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and a proud member of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on Friday the 4th of February. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, to celebrate 100, I interview my regular collaborator, Jeff Clark. I learn about the importance of win-loss analysis from expert Ken Schwartz, and where better to celebrate 100 episodes than in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar, where Robert Rose is waiting with a cocktail and a thought for the week. But first... We need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back
1: in a moment. will be right back. This we'll Be right back. this You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy
0: Right, on to our first segment. If you're a regular listener, you'll be familiar with the wise words of Jeff Clark, former research director, a serious decisions forester, and principal strategic advisory here at Rockstar CMO as we regularly chew the fat on various marketing topics. To celebrate 100, I thought it was time we shared a bit more about where this wisdom has come from. Get the insider tips from his industry career and through his time advising an amazing roster of clients and share with you a bit about the Jeff Clark know. Hi, Jeff. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing very well. Thank you for having me back. Of course, of course. We did promise that we were going to talk about some more stuff about marketing education. Yes. I've uh, I changed my mind. And uh, yeah. because this is our 100th episode, I thought I'd do something different
2: this week. Wow. Do we yeah, get well. up and do a Chinese fire drill around our studios <laughs> to celebrate? What? That sounds cool.
0: Yeah, let's do that. I'll see if I can find the sound effects. <laughs> but what I thought I'd do is, uh, you know, we've heard a lot of great advice and insight from you, Jeff, and snippets of your experience and where you've worked before. But I thought maybe as it's our 100th episode, we might share a little bit about you.
2: Oh, I'm Flattered.
0: so I thought I'd interview you so uh, I regularly mention that you are a former research director at Forrester Serious Decisions but shall we kick off with where your marketing career started what
2: inspired you to get going sure you know um by the way, can I interview you on your career next week? or what is, <laughs> can, I, can I turn the tables?
0: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. There'll be a much okay. shorter conversation because yeah, you've, right. you've done way more better things than I have. But yeah, sure.
2: Let's, let's give that a go. <laughs> yeah, well, for longer, too.
0: Well, yeah, Well, I mean, mine, mine would be just as long in terms of years. It's just not as exciting. Let's make okay. that very clear. Okay, okay.
2: Um, so anyway, so yeah, mm-hmm. so so where the heck did I start? So. Um, you know, I mean, this may seem like a non sequitur, but, you know, coming out of college, I was very into the, um, the beginning of the, uh, renewable energy and solar wave that was happening, uh, you know, around the energy crisis. So that is way back in the late seventies, early eighties. And, um, I snagged a job at the New Hampshire's governor, governor's energy office, you know, mm-hmm. public sector in uh, 1980. And, you know, I'd taken marketing, I'd taken communications. I was basically uh, an economics uh, major in school, you know, so I had some of the tidbits, but I never really said, you know, I'm going to do a career in marketing. Mm -hmm. And after um, four years government, I, I ran a nonprofit, very small nonprofit for a very short period of time. Then I got a job for a really small seven person software company that was doing they were doing energy analysis. They did for like utilities and heat and air Mm -hmm. conditioning. So it was, it it sort of fit into what I was doing prior, uh, but it was a software company, uh, a very marginal one at best. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) and I I was like the sales guy. uh, Mm -hmm. And then I started doing some marketing work out of necessity. I had to put a catalog together. I did, you know, sort of partner co-op programs. I did training for, people hvac companies i did create collateral photo shoots you know of our products and stuff like that and then and i realized that it's like you know the stuff i was doing for a profit company was the same stuff i had been doing you know for the government (laughs) because i was not in a job that was all about you know laws and regulations it was more Mm -hmm. about advocacy promoting yeah uh solar energy so so anyway, I just, I really, and the sales side of the job, I just didn't, I personally was not, uh, was not very yeah. satisfying to me. I just didn't, mm. I just didn't have the, 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 same drive that the coin operated folks or the people that are, <laughs> that are, you know, that, well, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a highly skilled job that just has different mm. motivations. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. we, could, we could talk about sales versus marketing all day. Mm. Uh, but, um. But anyway, you know, then I, um, I was getting married. It's like, okay, now I've got to get a job with a company that can actually pay my travel expenses. So I um, landed myself in Boston with a uh, small startup word processing company. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, it was I jumped from software company to software company until I landed at uh, Forrester Serious Decisions. Yeah, yeah. Well, you skipped out a big chunk. There. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that, that brought. Us well, up I didn't there. know. I didn't know you wanted me to take you all the way to the stage, because <laughs> no, because no, 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 I don't that do not have that kind of time. <laughs> yeah, no. But what I
0: wanted to do was um, because you spent most of your career in B two B marketing. So I was going to sort of focus a little bit on that chunk that you just skipped past. You worked with Kronos, Progress, Pega Systems, and SDL. Yep.
2: Um,
0: What is it? I mean, because you've always been in B2B, haven't you?
2: So what are the key things you think
0: that that, did you learn during that period that you think B2B masters need to focus on?
2: Well, you know, one thing actually, one thing that could have occurred to me, which just (laughs) popped into my head is that it's like my first. So after the small word processing company, I went to Kronos and I went to Kronos as it just hit IPO. And yeah. today, it's a multi-billion-dollar mm-hmm. HR and blah 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 mm-hmm. company. Exactly, they just changed the name mm-hmm. recently, and it's like, huh, geez, If I stayed there, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I probably would have made more in options and stuff than that than uh, some of the other places I go. But although uh, man, every, every every place I went, you know, was was reasonably successful, so I can't really complain. But yeah. to answer your question which is again what the key things that B2B marketers need to focus on is I just, I really think it comes down to understanding the customer and knowing how to communicate them to mm-hmm. them. You know, the goal is obviously to you know, have, you know, your products and services match their needs. Um, it, you know, it sounds simple, but it is just, it's, it, I think it's one of the things that a lot of marketing teams or individuals don't really focus Mm -hmm. enough on and everything we do around you know marketing technology data strategy advertising digital those are all i mean they're all tactics and methods and tools to help us do that thing which is connect with the the customer the prospect and connect with them at the right spot and with the right message (laughs) (laughs) the right (laughs) channel um and uh you know which is when we were at sdl i mean that was the whole thing you know bring bring all these tools together so you can deliver that, that right message at the right time and all that. And, 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 and it, you know, it's, it, I mean, there's from a technology perspective, that's still a bit of a holy grail, but you Mm. know, just, there's nothing that, that um, I mean, it all comes back to understanding that customer and, and, um, and there's just, there's so many ways to get to that, that uh, uh, yeah, that's one of the things that the CMO in the marketing leadership, as well as the individuals are in the marketing team are just you know that should be mm. their number one priority. get that fixed first,
0: yeah well, and fixed, understand the customer,
2: yep, yeah. yes,
0: yeah, 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 and I think too few of us don't leave the office do we, we need to um actually yeah. meet the customer and understand who yeah. they are and, and what they do, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, because um and 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 I one of the things I was thinking about this this morning um was that that you know in my career i i just i guess i had an op- the opportunity to meet customers and partners mm-hmm. as well as be involved in you know the sort of the typical things of you know yeah. doing focus groups and you know yeah. but you know when you go out on trade shows or you go on i did when i was at progress i did a lot of product advisory council tours yeah. you know so where me and the tech guy would go out and we would talk to uh big customers and partners and and it's just like there's nothing nothing that replaces that because in addition to whatever research you can do so it's like the first and third party research is absolutely necessary but there's always something missing if you haven't actually (laughs) actually haven't had the conversation because then you start to put it in it's just the way human beings work it's just like it starts to put everything in context absolutely
0: Absolutely. So that was your first, uh, that's your first key thing that us B2B marketers need to focus on from that part of your career. What else did you, what else did you learn?
2: Well, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that, you know, and and this, this may roll into a little bit about what what I think your next question might be, (laughs) but is that, um, you know, having, alignment on a strategy is just yeah. incredibly important. And I, I, um, one time I went to a, uh, user conference for one of our partners when I was at progress and the, uh, CEO of, um, actually say former CEO of Porsche was there yeah. Yeah. and he was an American engineer who went over to, um, to run the German car company. And, and he just had this thing that just stuck in my head ever yeah. since, which is, you know, good plan, well executed is better. And I should emphasize a good plan. Well, executed, <laughs> is better than the perfect plan poorly mm. executed. Yeah. And, and so I think both my experience being in, you know, working inside marketing teams, as well as being an advisor to yeah. them is I just really see companies struggling with the getting everybody on the same page. I mean, whether it's yeah. the marketing teams on the same page with the rest of the other you know, yeah, customer yeah. facing functions yeah. or whether it's everyone in the marketing team is on the same page because, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've I, unfortunately, some of my worst experiences is when somebody, you know, who had some, you know, uh, sort of some power within the marketing team would just be totally like, yeah. you know, this, this, you yeah. know, this, what, this, what the CMO says stung, stinks, you yeah, know, he doesn't know yeah. what he, all he's always doing. The president does, what yeah. what he's doing. you know, I know what it is. And, yeah. and, and, and we, we used to call those, I don't know if I quoted that in the show before, but, but the, uh, the president used to call those terrorists because they were the ones <laughs> that were like, you know, we're just trying to get together on the same strategy. Yeah. And somebody goes off and says, you're all wet and goes off with their own opinion. And so mm. off. and this is where it's so important to go back to understanding the customer yeah. because, yeah. you know, if, if everyone has sort of been infused with this understanding of who they are, what their deeds are, how they talk then mm. then that kind of drives everything as opposed to uh people's opinions
0: mm, yeah and um, i was also interested in and in, in asking you about your time at serious decisions because um that must have been absolutely fascinating because you're there as an advisor and you're there <laughs> diagnosing um various challenges that you see with, with these big b2b companies that you're working for um can i like ask you to share a few of the little secrets of what you picked up there you know what, <laughs> what, what sort of challenges or problems i mean without naming names did you see that were uh, you know were the, were the common things you saw as you talked to all these different companies
2: yeah well certainly a um a common thing leads back to what i was was just talking about is that you see like like i did a lot of um advisory on um mm-hmm. on planning yeah. Like kind of like the the sort of the annual the, what are the mechanics of doing an annual marketing plan and, you yeah, know what's it yeah. look like how's what's the process going whether yeah. it's whether it's sort of the whole marketing plan the campaign plan or even you know I did a lot of work on technology marketing yeah. technology so what's the what's the technology roadmap look like yeah. and it's just you know you'd see people struggling with the fact that you know you've got the debates between business units yeah. product divisions, you know, uh, um, you know, marketing versus sales Mm -hmm. and, and there was one company we did with, which we won't name any names, but it's like (laughs) they, you know, we were kind of struggling with them because they were, they were Mm -hmm. disassembling their, um, marketing part department. Right. um but one of the <laughs> one of the interesting things that came out of that and again this is really mostly from a technology perspective is that they they pulled the operations teams together mm-hmm. sales and marketing operations teams and and it's like they finally you know a lot of the because we did a technology assessment for them and a lot of the technology issues they had they were able to solve because yeah. it's like they they weren't coming at it from two different perspectives that are that are going to you know that are going to like meet and have a battle to see who, you know, where are we going to put our data, how are we going to track, you know, our engagement, Mm. uh, et cetera, Mm. et cetera. And, and so, you know, they came up with a more unified approach. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I think that's, you know, I mean, that's just so typical. Um, And the, and the other area that, and and this, this is somewhat along the same lines, but, you know, people would be trying to execute, um, you know, successful campaigns. And of course, Uh what what we, the way we defined it, you know, and a lot of this was just kind of the terminology is that the campaign was the aggregate of all of the tactical efforts focused on a particular customer set with a particular business need. Uh And, and so, you know, if you had a different customer set with a different need or same customer set with a different need, then that's a different, you know, campaign. And, and the problem, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, absolutely the right way to go. And certainly in my career, it's like, I could look back and I could say, ah, the reason why we were successful here was because Mm -hmm. we were able to do that. Um, but that requires, it's like the campaign plan requires people being settled on the marketing plan, which requires people being settled on a company strategy where sales and marketing are, you know, they're defining the customer segments the same way they're defining, you know, what they're trying to sell to those segments the same way, what the needs are, and, you know, again, we would see lots of successes. I help companies get from, you know, sort of the bad place to the good place. But boy, it's yeah. like you run into another company. You're like that's struggling with this. You're just like, yeah. oh, my gosh, they don't they can't see they can't yeah. s- see their way through this. And And so often it's I mean, you know, both you and I. Worked with a lot yeah. of companies that were uh, built by acquisition or yeah. had a core company that acquired other companies. And that yeah. that usually was one of the key <laughs> yeah. sources yeah. from problems because people yeah. with an older vision or a different vision still existed yeah. and uh, yeah, couldn't get aligned. Yeah.
0: Right, I'm going to pause it there, I'm sorry, uh, on that great point. I was enjoying that. We were going very long, so after the recording, we agreed to split this over two episodes. So we'll pick that conversation up next week, and I promise there is some really good advice to come that I found really useful, and I encourage you to join us again next week for the rest of that conversation. Now, normally at this point, Jeff nominates a tune, which he did when we recorded the full interview, and I'll play that tune next week. So I'll pick one for this week, and I realise neither of us have a ghetto story but I love this tune. From 2010, Baby Cham, True Ghetto Story. This is a survival story. True Ghetto Story. This is my story. Real Ghetto Story. Hey. I remember those days when hell was my home, when me and mama bed was a big piece of foam and me never like bathed and my ear never come, when mama gonna work me, go street or roam I remember when Danny them get my snow cone and make him lick a bread at them, kick up Jerome I remember when we visit them with pure big stone and the boy Danny put some full chrome I remember when we run, but I get him knee blown, and me best friend Richie get doing I'm down, I remember so there we go, a little snippet of True Gether story by Baby Chan. By the way, you can find a link to the tunes we choose, along with all of Jeff's links, in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.fm. Right, on to my guest. Ken Schwartz is the Managing Principal at PSP Enterprises and is an enterprise software professional with a 30-year career spanning roles in engineering, sales and marketing in software infrastructure companies with a speciality in competitive intelligence. Ken holds a bachelor's degree in East Asian Studies from Harvard College and lived and worked in Japan for seven years. Probably the shortest bio that a guest has provided me with so far, but that does not reflect what a fascinating B2B career Ken's had. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Ken, to Rockstar PMO FM. How are you?
1: Very good, thank you. And thank you very much for having me.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. Um, we just recently met through uh, through our mutual friend Jeff, who's also on the show. But for those of you, that, for our listeners who don't know Jeff, <laughs> tell us a bit about yourself, Ken.
1: Sure. Well, yeah, I've I've known Jeff for many years. Um, you know I have a background in product marketing in the enterprise software space, uh, infrastructure software like middleware and databases and storage and so on. And uh, yeah. Jeff and I worked together at Progress Software and also Pegasystems for several years.
0: Nice, nice. And you're now with PSP Enterprises. Tell us a bit about what you guys do.
1: That's right. Yeah, so I'm the managing principal and owner of PSP Enterprises. Mm -hmm. We are a specialist consultancy focusing on competitive win-loss research. And what we do is we help our clients find out how and why their customers make their competitive decisions and what our clients can do to improve their win rate.
0: Yeah, I love it. And um, we chatted the other day, I mean, win-loss analysis is is a fascinating topic for me as a B2B marketer. But if we rewind a little bit, um, when uh, as I sort of got introduced to you and I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, you've had quite the marketing career. Tell us a little bit about your journey and, and what inspired Ken to get into marketing.
1: <laughs> My checkered career. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, I have a background that started in... Uh, in east asian studies of all things i studied japanese and and wanted to live and work in japan which i did uh but i also had a technical background and so i uh, started an engineering career track and to tell you the truth i had uh, a puzzle on my mind and the puzzle was wh- why is it that some companies grow like gangbusters and take over and others just seem to fizzle out and uh, you know because. Knowing the answer to this, of course, you could become very rich. You could (laughs) be one of those companies, or at least you could work for the right company and not the wrong company. And and it was such a puzzle. You know, is it technology? Is it the leadership? Is it the culture? Is it, you know, Mm -hmm. know, United States or Japanese culture seem to have different kinds of companies. So, yeah, I found this endlessly fascinating. And I didn't know it at the time. But what I came to understand is that it's really competitive strategy that explains it. And that mm-hmm. has always fascinated me. And so, you know, my gurus are people like uh, Clayton Christensen yeah. and uh, Michael Porter, you know, um, Innovator's Dilemma and Competitive Strategy, those books. And and I've discovered them over the course of my career, and they're really eye-opening. So I ended up moving from a general product marketing kind of background towards more of a competitive role in the companies I work for, and then ended up specializing it. And uh, yeah, so that that's my yeah, background. Yeah. And during the, those years doing that work, I used PSP, my, my company mm-hmm. as a client. Uh, so PSP did competitive research for me while I was at those companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so uh, two years ago, the founder of PSP, Richard case approached me and asked if I wouldn't be his partner mm-hmm. um, with the interest to, to buy his company because he was looking to retire in the, in the coming years. And that's exactly what I did. So I guess I'm like the, uh, the guy who liked the razor so much he bought the company.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, and a uh, great marketing <laughs> as well, uh, uh, talking about advertising. And, and also, I mean, uh, you've also, Clayton Christensen, I mean, we've been talking about inspiration, uh, what inspired people to get into marketing and books and stuff. And yeah. Clayton Christensen, I mean, I know that Robert Rose, who's also on the show, big fan of his work too, yeah. um, I think recently passed away, didn't he last he year? He did. He did. I'm yeah. so
1: sad. Yeah, and, and yeah, he had uh, quite a uh, health debacle over the many years, um, but right. an amazing person. And if, you know, to your listeners, if they haven't read his books, uh, Innovator's Dilemma and Solution, they really must. It's just fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah. and, and he, I I'm recommend that too. Any, anything written by him. Um, but let's get back to win loss analysis. Why is win loss analysis so important? I mean, predominantly, I guess we're talking about B2B here, aren't we?
1: Yeah. 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 So that, you know, you can do win loss analysis in other areas, but we focused Mm -hmm. on B2B and, and really deals, which are big enough that they're handled by direct sales force. So they're, they're pretty involved. And, uh, you know, knowing why you're winning and losing, I think on the face (laughs) of it, people want to know. But there's really two big reasons, I think that clients value it. And uh, I guess it's the head and the heart. So, uh, one reason that appeals to the head, to the finance types, is the win rate. You know, if you win more deals, your win rate goes up and your potential for more incremental bookings goes up. And every company wants to have that. You know, lost deals are very expensive and these competitive deals that can go on for months or even years to lose them at the end is heartbreaking, but you know, somebody's going to lose them. And if you have a couple companies competing, more are going to lose than win. So, that's a big one. And then, uh, you know, if it's important to the heart, it's uh, to the head. It's also important to the heart because, uh, you know, companies are just not driven by the numbers. It's there's a culture to a company that is, uh, you know, the benefits if everybody's rowing together, you know what I mean? If if you're rowing yeah. on a river and you have a bunch of guys rowing crew and, and they're really synced up, the, the boat just cooks, but, um, if you don't, it, it it's very choppy and mm. we've all worked for companies that were more or less, uh, well, well-coordinated and organized. <laughs> and I think one of the big benefits of win loss though, is that it gives you this, um, uh, outside in perspective mm-hmm. that can be very unifying for the, the leadership to be mm-hmm. able to bring in a, a single voice of the marketplace that's very reliable and, mm isn't subject to all of the, the, the usual internal uh, you know, politics and, and bickering that can go on without having that kind of clear lodestar to guide the company. So it, it's very, very powerful for, for putting together a, a culture that's driven by the competitive market and uh, gets everybody working together.
0: Yeah, and um, your point, you, you, you hit on uh, two key things, well, three key things really there. One of them is the emotion of B2B sales, right, is that you, you're cutting through that because you're finding the data. I mean, I love your analogy there of head and heart, right, is that, you know, quite often there's quite a lot of emotion around losing a deal and sometimes emotion around winning well, yeah. a deal, but those two emotions are very different, aren't they? Oh, and absolutely. This, and this idea of alignment behind why things are happening in your marketplace and um so the so the insights you're saying there are are the insights just limited to how you go about selling or is there more that we can gather as marketers or as product development teams from yeah
1: yeah well you know it's it's a whole body sport (laughs) yeah yeah. i think um so you've got to have all the parts of the company engaged but the the big i think the big message here is that it is that outside in perspective yeah you find out what customers are thinking. And, you know, customers form their opinions from a variety of sources. They, they of course, deal with your salespeople, but they're reading the marketing materials. They're reading stuff that are written by other companies' marketers, by third-party analysts. They're getting their hands on the product. They're evaluating things. So they're forming their decisions based on all of these inputs. And, you know, the the, the findings from win-loss can and should be leveraged by the entire company. Yeah. Um, and some things are going to take longer than others to change. Uh, the, the product can take months or years to significantly change. But things like uh, sales messaging and the handling of objections and the positioning of a competitor's capability or or uh, message can be uh, taken on very quickly. So mm-hmm. getting a uh, 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 quick feedback from the marketplace through win-loss can give you what you need to know for a kind of a one-two punch. First, you can teach the salespeople how to deal with the problem in the short term. And second, you can give the, uh, the, the product people the insight yeah. they need in order to leapfrog the competition or at least to mitigate the problem.
0: Yeah. that outside in view is so important almost with everything that we do in B2B because we do get a bit wrapped around the axle, don't we, on on our opinions of the market and what we think the competitors are doing. And how many times have I been a roo- in a room where the most senior person from sales or even the CEO has this perception of why we're winning and losing based on, you know, their sure. own feelings, their gut feel, right? That, sure. So that's, that's what, you know it's this is this priceless uh, marketing data, isn't it win loss yeah, so it um so I mean, I was gonna actually you know when when you're doing win loss analysis um mm-hmm. can you can you just go and ask the sales guys
1: uh, no <laughs> <laughs> unless the sales guy happens to have just read the win loss analysis I did, then he won't know <laughs> what you need to know in order to be able to to get that perspective um you know. It, 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 of course, everybody has their their uh, hands on the elephant, but which part are they touching? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah the salesperson's yeah. experience is going to be limited to whatever deal they worked on, and mm-hmm. just as you you know you pointed out, people are are going to be most vocal about whatever it is that just happened to them, that, mm-hmm. and that's to be expected. So to have a a balanced view that looks at the experiences of all the salespeople and not just one or two and can uh, you know, find a way to sew together all of those inputs in a way that gives you an accurate read so you know what really matters to customers and yeah. how those customers are sizing up their options in the marketplace today. That, that kind of readout can't be taken from a sales rep alone. You need to gather it, uh, first of all, from many deals, and second of all, it needs to come from the customers themselves and, and not from the yeah. sales rep.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've been in a situation where years ago and when I was in pre-sales where I suspected the customers trying to be kind. Or at least they were trying to give the sales guy an objection (laughs) they couldn't handle so they could go, you know, so they would just go away. You know, you don't. um, We've gone through this whole selection process with you and we've got to this point and we've decided we're not going to select you because you don't support particular database type. And it's like, well, you knew that from the beginning. I don't think that's really the issue, is it? You're just saying that because, you know, we can't handle it. So I think Mm. that that intel point from the salespeople can be. Not their fault, Kenny. It? It sometimes it's the customer that's telling the sales guy something just to kind of move it along.
1: Well, that you know that reminds me of a very interesting study that my business partner Richard Case did many years ago when yeah. um, PSP was was uh, very very young, <laughs> it was a new mm-hmm. company, and they did a study with uh, one very large client where they compared the results of the, uh, the, the information gathered from customers, 50 deals, and they compared that with what they found when they asked the reps mm-hmm. why they won or lost. And, and what they found was that, in general, the losing reps didn't have any idea why they lost, um, right. which I guess kind of stands to reason because they didn't have the, the control or the insight that they needed to win. Uh, the winning reps actually were much better. They had a much better understanding about why they won but even though they 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 had a better understanding, they tended to overestimate the uh, capabilities of the competition. They, they uh. thought the competition was stronger than it really was, as far as the customers were concerned. So they they uh, you know they weren't an accurate uh, way to to find out what's going on. And I I think yeah, you put your finger on a couple problems. One is that it's very hard to tell a person to his face, <laughs> to his face what what's wrong with them uh, yeah. when you're breaking up. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah. So that's bad. And then the, the other thing is, is that even when you win, there are certain things that customers are not going to want to talk about with vendors mm. as straight as they might with me because they, they don't want to show their hands. Uh, mm. For example, pricing is something where if I'm a customer, I don't necessarily want to tell my vendor, whether I thought I, you know, I got a good price or not. I, I've yeah. always want the, the vendor to think that they got the best of me. So that way I'm in a stronger position the next round. I think that's just, yeah. you know, common sense. So there, there are many things which uh, you can't find out on your own nearly as well as you can find out if you've got an independent consultant doing it for you, especially if the independent consultant does the interviews blind and anonymous. So yeah. that way the uh, The respondent doesn't actually know who i'm working for, so they they can't couch their answers just knowing that they're going to you know make their way back to their their vendor or one of the competitors they just yeah, don't know yeah. who they're working for yep.
0: yeah, and I love that And it's a couple of things I'm pulling out again from from what you were saying a couple of things there one one of them was there's probably a correlation between a successful sales guy that wins where there's a good understanding between him and the customer, right? Because mm-hmm. aren't all good sales guys, you know, their, their, their second favorite um, answer is no, isn't it? So they can just move on. So <laughs> they, they they like to get quickly to either a yes or a no, but quickly to a yeah. no, it's fine. So I wonder if there's a correlation there from your study that actually the sales guys that were in touch with the customers and therefore understood why they won just understood the customer better in general. Right? So that's interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, uh, I I think there's there's a lot to that. Um, you know, what one thing that we find in these studies is that the uh, customers really do appreciate a consultative style of selling. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the uh, the reps who do a better job of really understanding what the customers' needs are and fully understand that context before they start pitching. Really yeah. do have a better time in the sales yeah, yeah. business, and and yeah. one of the one of the benefits of doing win loss uh, is just showing people how this works. Uh, yeah. When when we give the the clients these verbatim transcripts that show the conversation between me and the, the the customer and the customer talking about this and comparing their good sales experience with their not so good sales experience, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty black and white. And if you ever needed some customer quotes to prove to the salespeople what really works, yeah. uh, win-loss is, is fantastic. So uh, yeah. you know, part of it is the analysis that tells you that, yes, these are the things that you need to, to fix or these are the, the weaknesses that you, you need to attack from the competitor. But I think also the ability for me to show my clients and for them to then show their, their you know, internal constituents customer quotes that really bring it to life of, yeah. can be very very powerful change agents for getting people to to yeah you know, changes where they otherwise wouldn't
0: yeah and when when you were talking just now about um the importance of it being done by a third party in my experience mm-hmm. um i mean win loss i think is, is is done a lot better with a third party because people open up and i was going to ask you about that anyway yeah. but i also th- but i in my experience. Case studies are better when they're done by a third party. They're, they're just the hmm. conversation is just, it's just way different, is it, than, than if you ask yeah. one of your customers, why do you like me? Whereas if an impassionate, <laughs> you know, impartial third party does a case study, yeah. you can extract some really interesting insights uh, that way, can't you?
1: That, that's certainly true. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, that part of it also is that you, when you have um, – a third party do it, it gets done. (laughs) These studies and win loss and things like that, they're all a little bit like writing thank you notes. I mean, you know, you should do it, but people don't. That is, is but if something comes up and it seems more urgent, more important. Yeah, Yeah. So I, I'm a believer in outsourcing things that are, are important, but can easily get knocked off by yeah, some yeah. some uh, I, from above that's
0: that i mean we've kind of drifted a little bit off topic we're yeah. talking about case studies but i find that is so true about case studies because yeah. and in somebody who's dedicated to getting the case study is gonna work hard to do that because yeah. it's hard to do you know it's hard it to is. drive the, the customers um the customer's process as well as your process, and none of us have got the time for that. So, I, so I completely, completely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. So, so what's your approach? So, you, you, so you, we're. I think we're both in agreement here that mm-hmm. it's this sort of thing is best done by a third party. So, how how do you tend to approach um, a case study with somebody? So, I mean, I was going to ask, you know, what is it the marketing team can do? And it sounds like what the marketing team can do is get some budget and hire a third party, right? So yeah. What's well, the, What's the approach?
1: You know, so so I don't want to stop people from talking to their customers and talking mm-hmm. to prospective customers. Yeah. I, obviously, that's really important. Um, but you you know, I don't think that most companies are going to be set up to do it as um, thoroughly and consistently as you yeah. would if you were to hire a third party. That's just yeah. a fact of life. And the, the the other thing is that we talked about is you know the the perspective that an independent person can bring in by doing blind and anonymous interviews i think is very valuable you can't do that yourself inside a company unless right. you lie to your customer about who you are which yeah. is unethical so um you know you mustn't do that you have to tell them who you're working for and then then that can color the research so yeah for an unbiased readout you want to use somebody um and, and so I, I think those are the you know the, the the key things but if you if you want to um uh, You know, gather information from your sales team about what's working and not working. You should definitely do that. Just Mm -hmm. don't ask the salespeople why they won or lost, because what you're effectively doing is asking them to be mind readers. Yeah, yeah. They don't know. So don't ask them <laughs> questions they can't answer. Ask and and this is very common in CRM systems. What's the primary reason you lost? What's the secondary reason you lost? Yeah. What does that mean? What is primary? I, I mean, I don't even know. Yeah. So yeah. the same thing's true with primary competitor and secondary competitor. These questions are nonsense. There are much, much better questions that you can and should mm-hmm. ask your salespeople around how things are going throughout the the sales cycle. So that yeah. way you can find the hot spots and you can solve those problems in the field and take away the issues that are blocking them. Those are the kinds of things I think you should be focused on with your sales team and and talking to customers and exploring issues with them in an open-ended way, I think is is incredibly important. But doing it systematically, finding out why you won and lost is probably something best done by an independent agency. Yeah, and
0: just for the record, I wasn't mean to ding the sales guys that the information is no good. Often they are incredible domain experts. Oh, my God, yeah. Plus, as a marketer, they're going to tell you what's the most frequently asked questions they get. You know, how can you support them from a content perspective? What, what questions do we need to answer in our, on our website and our content so yeah. they don't get asked the questions so that we can be more upstream? So absolutely, I mean, sales guys are great. Oh,
1: sales. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are great questions to ask. Just don't yeah. ask the question. Why did you lose? That's <laughs> yeah, it's really a pointless question, but it's it's so commonly asked, and and unfortunately, what happens is the the salespeople not not keen to to look, you know, look bad. Yeah. They'll just make yeah, something absolutely. up. or they'll absolutely. choose the first thing in the list. <laughs> yes. If it's a pull down menu, it's the first one. So you yeah. can tell if you do a little analysis. If if it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, how frequently uh, salespeople choose the first item in the list. You as well.
0: <laughs> well, that's fabulous. Thank you very much, Ken. That's a nice summary of win-loss analysis of why it's yeah. important. And uh, I don't think we were too hard on the sales guys. So I think that's good. So yeah. finally, to my final question, we have a regular feature on Rockstar CMO called the Rockstar CMO Swim Pool in tribute to all the rock stars that threw things in hotel swim pools back in the day. <laughs> But it's our portal to marketing health, the overhyped hyped trends, BS and Snake oil from this practice we love. What would you like to see chucked
1: into our pool? Oh wow. Well I I'd say competitive intelligence automation is my wow. my big beef. Yeah. So I'm I'm uh, you know, I'm all for competitive intelligence automation for uh competitive analysts who can use these tools to good benefit, you know, to scour the internet and find all these yeah. these uh you know, these signals that things mm-hmm. are going on. So that way they yeah. can try to put together a bigger picture. But these things that end up feeding into portals that are intended for salespeople or for executives, for, yeah. for automated readout of what's going on in the competitive marketplace, I, I think are, are very ill-advised. I, in my view, salespeople want to know one thing, which is how do I beat the competition? And yeah. executives want to know, What's a good investment decision? And data which supports these things should be disclosed judiciously in support Mm -hmm. of whatever perspective you want to bring. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to pump data, no matter how it's been filtered, to these audiences. And that's what I I feel that these tools are doing. And it's just going to generate a a new round of disappointment. I feel uh, as people these things out.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Because um, you know, d- data is there to help us make decisions, and th- and those recommendations need to be cu- curated, don't they? If you just exposing executives to raw data, you can just interpret whatever you like, can not yeah, you? Yeah,
1: curation is a great word. It, it takes yeah. real human judgment and and intelligence mm-hmm. and experience to to sort through these things. Yeah. And I'm I'm always concerned about a, a process that bypasses that.
0: Yeah, I love it, and and it's it's a common theme actually in the, in the pool in that uh, cool. you know we we marketers are outsourcing our brains to the to the machine, so it's very consistent to what I hear. Okay. Of. Well, that was that was fantastic. Thank you very much, Ken. I love that my topic, win loss analysis, and I look back at my career and realize I haven't done enough of it. I've I've seen it. I've I've done I've done it. I've done it often, and mm-hmm. it's it's such an insight. And like you say, it's something just it's something that just you just don't get time for and you drift away and it doesn't happen. And you think we really ought to do that. And I I think people should, and they should also talk to you about it. So when they do, Ken, and they spin the dial on the
1: interwebs, where are they going to find you? Oh, okay. Yeah. PSP Enterprises. PSP Mm -hmm. stands for peer survey professionals. So PSP Enterprises, Mm -hmm. you can uh, search for us on the web and uh, give us a buzz. We'd love to to, uh, speak with you and see how we can help.
0: Excellent. And I'll include a link to PSB Enterprises and to yourself on LinkedIn, Ken, in Thank the you. show notes. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Have a great day.
1: Thanks so much. Take Do care. You,
0: Thank you, Ken. And if you're a B2B marketer, a nice reminder to give win-loss analysis some attention. And I will, of course, include all of Ken's links in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.fm. And if you'd like some help, please get in touch. Right, time to celebrate 100 episodes. And where better than the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar? And join my friend and content marketing guru and chief troublemaker at the content advisory, Robert Rose, to be transported away with a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking?
3: Oh, hello, my friend. And and happy 100th uh, show here. I mean, holy moly, hey, the bar is just hopping here. I mean, there's so much <laughs> going on. Um, you know, I think there's... Is that a... It seems to be some sort of 80s pop band over there in the corner playing some sort of music. I'm not sure what that is. It's synth, some sort of synth-driven pop 80s thing wow, yes seems that's to be... the sort
0: of thing we play a lot here especially when Jeff Clark makes a recommendation so yes that sounds yeah. about right
3: <laughs> yeah, and there seems to be someone really talking quite loudly over there in the corner. I think he's giving a political speech or something. Or, right. anyway. yeah, he sounds German, too. He sounds... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Let's no, see if I know. can get a long-time invited version of that particular speech. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, no Mariachi band this week, I'm free. That's no
3: mariachi band, no, no, because you've already got that downloaded, so it's, uh, yeah, but uh, we we need to find things that you have to go out and and find. That is the the whole aim of this this
0: show. Has this show got a fourth wall left, or whatever it is that you um, performers call the thing between us and the listener?
3: <laughs> yeah, this is the fourth wall. We're breaking the fourth wall here, is what, is what this is.
0: I, that's classy, isn't it? One, one must yeah. do that as, as, as a as And a One must do here. that,
3: especially on your 100th episode. So seriously, congratulations <laughs> on this. This is um, quite an achievement. Thank
0: you very much. Thank you very much. It's been, yes, 100 consecutive weeks as well, which I'm quite proud of. Um, but it's yes. the lockdown project. And one would Indeed. have hoped that, yeah, and we're still talking yeah. about COVID 100 weeks later, which I'm very surprised by. So,
3: uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's common. amazing. It's, it's, it's yeah. utterly amazing. And um, well, and to celebrate, I have a very special cocktail Ooh, for you. Goody. I have, a, I have, a, yes. I have a, an incredible cocktail. I'm calling it mm-hmm. a gin and tonic. Um I'm hoping you might have the ingredients for this because you know it is a very special sort of you know very you know it takes a a a, a very special gin and a very special tonic to make this um and it does not have olives in it in this case but uh but that is our cocktail for the evening yeah <laughs> <You know. laughs>
0: well i mean for tw- i've got my 2022 bar with me desktop bar with me so let's see if i can make a gin and tonic <laughs> yeah so um how well, what ingredients are you using there robert <laughs>
3: uh, i'm using a, 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 there are two uh primary yes. ingredients um, gin is the first one yes um and the yes. second one is a tonic water if you if you have something right
0: drink. okay let me see what i've got so again i have uh, i've three ingredients um did you put ice in that
3: uh i did put ice Iced? in the gin and tonic yes
0: jolly good i'm just putting some i'm putting some ice into a um a shaker um thing uh and the but did ah hang on a minute i might have that i might have the very thing um did you put Hendrix? lunar gin into it or did you I
3: did put Hendrix gin in that it's just amazing
0: you do like a Hendrix and I forgot to make the big cork I'm just pouring the gin into the little measurement thing because I'm measuring now you know very big cork
3: you have to say that very slowly I yeah (laughs) I'm
0: just I'm actually using a little measuring jug that came in my cocktail set here Uh right so I put the gin in Uh, Unfortunately, you'd be surprised to learn, and probably very surprised to learn, that um, uh, I have entrusted my tonic making to a company called Martini, and they seem to have produced from those ingredients some vermouth. (laughs) Ah, I don't I have any tonic on my desk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still using up my Christmas vermouth. Let me just get a splash of that in there. there you did you go. just put a splash of tonic in or did you uh, probably put a lot more tonic in than I just put in vermouth? Uh,
3: and yeah, then, um, I, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean. All right. I'm I'm going to, oh, I'm doing the same as I did last week. I'm going for me olives too soon. I'm going to give that a stir so it gets really cold. Right, and then i'm gonna strain that i don't know how this comes across i'm just straining that into my cocktail glass okay and i'm going to add an olive you didn't put an olive in yours did you You made a very good point that you don't did not one doesn't i don't think do you ever put cucumber in your gin and tonic I quite like a gin, I, I quite like a cucumber in my gin and tonic.
3: A cucumber is lovely in a gin and tonic, yes, mm, especially in the yes. spring. I find.
0: Yeah, especially for Hendrix. Actually, mm. um, I've just realised my um, my anchovy my, my olive is stuffed with anchovy. I don't know if that makes it a particularly mucky gin and tonic. Let me try this. Oh, Robert! <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I'm really I'm really getting the gin. <laughs> that's delicious. Uh, and what what are you calling that?
3: I'm calling that a gin and tonic.
0: Oh, wow, that's delicious. I could drink one of these every week.
3: <laughs> I suspect you could.
0: <laughs> I have to get back to gin and tonics. Yeah. Yes, this is I mean 100 delicious.
3: episodes in it would it would seem that it would be appropriate.
0: Yes, well I did about 87 having having gin and tonics i've done four having martinis yes (laughs) and yes i should have stuck with the original joke what um so we're gonna have these lovely gin and tonics uh and on my 100th episode where shall we be celebrating
3: well i thought it would be fun to talk on your 100th episode about uh something Mm -hmm. we never talk about which is of course content um Mm. and so i love me some content yeah Um, but you know, more specifically, like what content are we going to create? And there was something that's been a little bit in the news of late, Mm -hmm. um, with, uh, you know, with Spotify and, and, uh, and Joe Rogan and, and, um, and Neil Young and the controversy over that. And, and, and certainly what we're starting to see in terms of, you know, the true extremism of, of content out there. I was watching a, uh, a social media group. And they were having a discussion. It was a marketing social media group. And Mm -hmm. in the discussion group, there was this discussion about content. And one of the posters in the social media group posted up this idea and said, what content should I be creating that could be popular? And the inevitable came in, right? The response is like, you know, go look at your audience. What questions can you yeah. answer for them? Understand their pain yeah. points and start writing about that. You know, getting off of writer's block, you know, all the usual sort of advice. And yeah. the poster then sort of updated the post and said, "No, thanks. That's nice and everything. But I didn't mean like any content. What I mean is I want to be controversial. I want to be provocative. I want to get a level and have my stuff go viral. So what should I talk about? And the theory that this poster then sort of said was, the idea is I want to go viral with something and create something really provocative and controversial so that people will look at who the heck I am and find mm-hmm. the other stuff that I've written about and the right people will find me for, for marketing. So it's sort of like this idea of, you know, lighting off a flare gun, I guess, and sort of finding, mm-hmm. you know, that, there are, that there's something good underneath the flare. And Mm. predictably, the tone of the conversation got into a fiery debate about the very flawed notion of that idea, um, if not the ethics of that idea. But it got (laughs) me thinking. Um, And what I started to think about is, is there ever a case where we would purposely put out a piece of content with the explicit goal of failing? Like, you know, we try to fail. Wow. And my answer that I came to was, yes, there is actually. Um, And, you know, we all know like failing can be productive, right? You know, obviously, you know, people talk about, there's entire books written on the idea of, you know, we learn more from our failure than we do our successes, et cetera, et cetera. And of course that's true. But the concept there is, is that we're trying our level best to succeed and we inevitably will fail at some things. And so there are lessons learned, right? There are lessons learned from us trying to succeed and not succeeding but I'm interested in the opposite which is when we deliberately try to fail or at least do something that is considered a mistake and then maybe get either learn something or are surprised by the results and there's actually a book on this which I found um, in my sort of searching uh, around on this topic it's a book called brilliant mistakes um, by Paul uh, author by the name of Paul Shoemaker and he mm-hmm. talks about how David Ogilvy, the classic ad man, um, used to do this all the time. He and his team, they would actually run ads that had either been rejected by the client and or they had rejected as a team just to see, just, you know, just basically yeah. to say, you know, if, 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 did we make a mistake? And yeah. a few of them, including, by the way, that great iconic Hathaway shirt ad, this is going to. Show my age a little bit, you know the one with the <laughs> eye patch, right? The you know there was this great campaign they ran with you know guys wearing Hathaway shirt and they all have eye patches on, and it's all an right. iconic um, uh, advertisement, and you know it uh-huh. became legendary, and that was a mistake. Um, right, and so the 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 key is is that there are times when we should take time, money, content, availability, whatever it is, and sort of just make a deliberate mistake. Now, I totally recognize that there are times and places for this, right? Like, you know, learning how to skydive is not when you want to make a purposeful mistake. You don't don't want to deliberately fail in that. But in marketing and content, there are definitely times, and, and it reminds me, and I was reminded of when I was doing this research, of a few years ago, there was a VP of marketing at this B2B tech company, and... They had, you know, he came in new, and there was ninety thousand people subscribed to the email newsletter. But whenever they would dutifully send it out every Friday, it was the engagement on it was almost negligible—like mm. ninety thousand people mm. and like you know, ten people. Right? You know, were are clicking yeah. on things. And yeah. he was like, you know, what's going on here? So yeah. what he did was, he said, let's do, let's make a mistake. And so he sent out an email. He took a segment of the people, basically people that weren't responding to anything and mm-hmm. deliberately made a mistake, which was to send them an email saying, you know, so sorry to see you go. Basically we got your unsubscribed notice and you're now wow. unsubscribed. And if this is an error, let us know. And then click through to this, you know, little survey that you yeah. could take and blah, blah, blah. And you know, basically the idea was you're almost certainly going to lose in all of them, right? Because nobody's going to respond yeah. to that, right? You know, of course yeah. it's going to be that way. But it didn't turn out that way. As it turns out, yes, the majority did. About sixty percent of them never heard, never whatever, and they they unsubscribed mm-hmm. all those people. But about forty percent of the people actually did either take action on it, click through to you know what was going on on the landing page. Um, and or another significant percentage actually filled out the survey to say, no, this is a mistake. I didn't unsubscribe from this thing. And and about 10% of them actually answered the poll saying, Hey, if you would just send me something different, I would, you know, I would actually respond. So now it's not always going to work out that way. And it's certainly, you know, if, you know, I mean, certainly a mistake is a mistake is a mistake. And sometimes, and most of the time, probably you're just going to confirm the fact that you make a mistake. But, Del- yeah. taking the time to actually deliberately do something, even if it is only just to sort of, you know, occasionally test our assumptions about something or a rule about something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's that classic, never blog on the weekend, right? Never publish a blog mm. on the weekend, you know, oh, why a not? Let's make a mistake. <laughs> let's,
2: let's do it,
3: right? <laughs> yeah, And see what yeah. happens. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there's a famous quote um, that I hear all the time, Uh, it's usually uh, attributed to the IBM founder, Tom Watson, Mm. um, who said, you know, um, basically, if you want to increase your success rate, double your failure rate. And Mm. it seems to me like the only way I'm ever going to double my fail, you know, the only mathematical way I'm going to double my failure rate is if occasionally I try and do it purposely. Uh, And so uh, that's, you know, that's what's on my mind. And I think it's just a really interesting idea. Well, I think, I mean, that's
0: a, I mean that's a great topic because, I mean, what I was thinking while were t- talking about that is define mistake. What in some cases the mistake could just be going against your normal doctrine, and therefore could be considered a, a mistake. You're zigging against your own zag or zagging against your own zig or whatever. Exactly. It is and trying yeah. and trying something new. So. And then there's the case that I actually saw somebody present about this about email deliverability, and that if you make a, a typo in the subject line, then people will open the, the email. But of course, at that point, you've you've made it clear that you're an idiot, right? So, so right. People are opening, but you know they now know you can't spell. So there's there's a win and loss around that kind of thing, but. I, I think it's a really interesting uh, idea. And then how does, it go, how does it go back to that person that clearly wanted to do a top 10 list of Hitler's greatest mistakes or something like that? or greatest achievements so or whatever it was they were thinking they wanted to write something controversial and and, and well they and, wanted to you know they secular.
3: i mean what their their goal was to write something you know like you know uh, yeah. something complete and this is true i think this is a helpful safety tip right so the, you yeah know, this comes back to the discussion about this is a flawed yeah. idea right they were going to write yeah. something like you know uh, you know you know COVID 19 is, you know, whatever, right? Or that, you know, they were yeah, right, completely yeah. inflammatory to try yeah. and get virality. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and hope that by getting notoriety and virality, that somebody would dig a bit deeper into who yeah. is this person and then find them interesting, yeah. right? You know, and it's, good you Lord. know, to a certain degree, you can see that strategy at play with you know, with more controversial media figures, right. You know, so when Mm. you think about a Joe Rogan and, you know, somebody like him, you know, he's very famous, right. And he's very famous for having now he's famous and, and, and gets his listeners by being relatively controversial. And so that, you know, so people talk about him and, and it is, I believe that in brand, you know, in the world of brands, that's you. It's fraught with with yeah. risk. To oh, absolutely! Because well, you know, when he comes out and says something like, you know, what he's what he's recently come out with and said is is something to the effect of, you know he said something to the effect of, of uh, he was he was he was saying nobody should call them i, I now i didn't hear the details of this so i'm i'm mm-hmm. just, i can be yeah paraphrasing yeah. incorrectly so just big asterisk here right mm-hmm. but the headline i saw in the article was he said that black people shouldn't call themselves black because unless they come from the deepest darkest parts of africa which is just oh, ridiculous at its face but Everybody goes, what, you know, and yeah. of course clicks through and reads through and, you know, wants to know more about what the hate yeah. is saying, if only they yeah. hate listen to it. And so yeah. that's the kind of thing where yeah. brands are often encouraged to do something like that because it'll get news or, you know, all publicity yeah. is good publicity or something like that. And hopefully people yeah. will be able to sift through that and get to the meat, you know, get to the stuff that you really want yeah. them to listen to. But no. I think, boy, that's a, these days, that's well, just, that's just a short fuse getting ready to blow up in your face. Well,
0: I think the problem is, is at the moment as marketers, we're being educated on a, on a, on a diet of the, the only way of getting our organic reach in social is to take, you know, is to, is to pick a fight almost, right? Because yeah, we're seeing right. that success with our politics and all that that's kind of right. stuff. But the difference is, is somebody like Joe Rogan, who I I, who I don't know particularly well, and I realised that I'd um, I was confusing him with somebody else for years. But um, uh, so, and uh, Joe Rogan, or um, you know, you could even say Donald Trump, or I think you used an example a couple of weeks ago on your show about Howard Stern. The difference with those people, and I think the person that perhaps was asking in the forum about how do I become viral and and um, and and be controversial, is. That's actually, this is them being their authentic selves, but a little bit, and I hate to use the word authentic because we're pretty much killing it as marketers, right? But that's who they are, right? They're just amping it up to 11 to attract the attention of the audience. Whereas I think if you're a brand or a person building a personal brand and you're not that like that, then to suddenly do that, you're just gonna look like a bit of a dick, aren't you? Right, you may
3: may win the battle and lose the war, right?
0: Yes, indeed. You know, and they're they're not going to know who you are. You know,
3: what, you know, in the old days, um, you could do something like that and it would go forgotten, right? Yep. Because media has a very short-term memory um, when it came to those kinds of activities. So you could do something outrageous and the news media might cover it and your local news media might cover it and the industry rag might cover it. And then it was out of the zeitgeist and there was no permanent record of it because there was no internet. And so you could, you know, you could largely move on. So you could, it it was much easier to do it back in those days. Now the internet never forgets.
0: Yeah. Yeah absolutely and then you find yourself canceled or whatever it is and and yeah i, I and i mean we 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 know marketers uh, in the b2b industry that um their whole thing is to pick a fight with the biggest vendor in their category and and that's the way they 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 build their reputation and their company's reputation but that's who they are Right. I I think that, how am I going, I I just, I was just cringing when you were describing How do I write a controversial piece of content that's going to go viral? It's like, oh, for Christ's sakes, what are you trying to actually achieve from a business perspective long-term? That's right. That's right. Yeah.
3: You just got to, you've got to understand that before you do anything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, that's a great thought. And um, when we do think of the controversial thing that we need to share and Oh, you need to share, it, and you're going to post it somewhere, Mr. Rose. Where would you post that?
3: I'll post it to my newly, hopefully fixed <laughs> website. <laughs> um, at you know, uh, it's at contentadvisory.net. We've been working hard. Our little bees have been in the hive working, and mm-hmm. so hopefully fixing some of the broken links there.
0: It's fair. Isn't it isn't it amazing? You start tinkering with something and it is really cobbler's kids' shoes, isn't it? You start tinkering with something yeah. and then oh, totally it's like it has a totally. domino effect. <laughs> totally. I always disappear down rabbit holes of what it is I should be fixing and it really isn't the thing I should be fixing. <laughs> yeah. And then uh when people uh, want to hear the most controversial, viral views they can on the social media webs. And they so on the interwebs and they, they spin the dial. Where are they going to find you, Mr. Rose?
3: Well, they'll find those opinions on JoeRogan.com. Um, <laughs> but if they want sort of the banal, um, soft, <laughs> middle-of-the-road uh, opinions yeah. and advice on content marketing and content strategy, I'm yeah. on LinkedIn and Twitter typically. That's <laughs> fantastic.
0: I just realized I should really call this show SoftRockstar.com. <laughs> soft rockstar. Yes, SoftRockstar. Nice, yeah. nice. Yacht soft Rock. rock yacht, yacht Rock content. Yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, uh, thank you very much for coming by on my hundredth episode, and uh, will I see you again in the bar next week?
3: Of course, at hundred and one, let's start this. Let's start this adventure all over again.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, mate. I'll see you then. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. And as you may have gathered, I never know what he's going to suggest, either the cocktail or the sound effects. I'm going to have to find so that's a wrap on episode 100 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Martin podcast who knew I'd make it this far so a big thank you to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox selecting our track and driving along with us I've been your host Ian Truscott thanks again to Jeff, Ken and Robert for sharing their insight please follow them say hello and check out all the links we discussed in the show notes which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Let us know we are Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn or Twitter and please drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast account or just keep listening I'm glad you're here next week is episode 101 we'll complete the interview with Jeff I'm planning to chat with my first guest fractional CMO J Robert Slaughter and as you heard from Robert we'll be in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar Until then, have a great week, and I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM.
1: This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.